Hello, and welcome to episode 48 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and this week I am joined by Rosa Para from Rosa's Reviews. Welcome back to the podcast, Rosa. How are you doing? Oh, hi, Mati. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm here to talk about <laughs> the leopard. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so last time you were on the podcast, we reviewed Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yes. I thought we had a really awesome conversation. I think if you haven't seen that film, listener, then I definitely recommend checking it out on Hulu. It is streaming there now. And then definitely listening to our conversation because I thought that was a really fun conversation to have. I agree. Yes. Please go watch it if you haven't seen it. It's uh, it's an amazing and extraordinary film. <laughs> Not to spoiler our thoughts on this, but I think I can confidently say that you uh, should definitely watch Portrait before you watch The Lovebirds. <laughs> Yes, a thousand percent. (laughs) (laughs) So this week, uh, we will be discussing a slightly less meaningful film, slightly less deep. It is the latest romantic comedy to hit Netflix, The Lovebirds. So this was a Paramount film that was supposed to be released theatrically on April 3rd, but was pushed back and then sold to Netflix due to the worldwide event that we do not say the name of. So Netflix released it last weekend for our viewing pleasure, and we watched it. So we will warm up with a spoiler-free review of the film before running into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And lastly, as always, we'll finish with our point two section where we talk about some of the other things that we've been watching. So first, let's read a synopsis of The Lovebirds. A couple, Isare and Kumail Nanjiani, experiences a defining moment in their relationship when they are unintentionally embroiled in a murder mystery. The Lovebird stars Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjiani. It is written by Aaron Abrams and Brendan Gale, and it is directed by Michael Showalter. You are unbelievable. Looks like love has finally found me. I love you. Oh, shit! So Rosa, let's hop straight into it. And why don't you just tell me your overall thoughts on the film? Um, sure. I was going to, it was one of the most anticipated films for me, uh, since I, I saw the trailer and I was anticipated to watch it over at South by Southwest. And then the whole, um, thing happened (laughs) (laughs) and, it got canceled. And then the moment I heard that Netflix had bought it, I was a bit concerned uh, because I was afraid it was going to be exactly what I just watched. Um, (laughs) I'm not particularly fond of this film. It wasn't, oh man, I don't want to seem too negative or too just, I don't want to trash the film in its entirety, but it's not not my cup of tea. I appreciate um, Camille Nandiani and Issa Rae's chemistry. It was there. If anything, whatever is watchable of the film, if there is anything, <laughs> um, it's because of them too and and their 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 comedic talent and comedic timing and so on. But in general. Yeah, no, it's a hard pass for me. <laughs> yeah, we are think are on exactly the same page, um, yeah. which I mean, you know, I always want my guests to enjoy the films that we review, but I am kind yeah. of glad that I didn't have to be the one that was negative on a film that you liked. So that's, that's it's good. It's good that we're both on the same page, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I agree with everything that you said. The main problem with this film for me is that it is just very poorly written and generally mm-hmm. not funny. And it surprises me that this film was going to play at South by Southwest because this this film is it's just a very straightforward comedy. It's a comedy that doesn't really have any flair or 
directorial style to it or anything like that. It just feels like a studio comedy or honestly, it feels like a Netflix comedy. Do you have different expectations for a comedy film that's on a streaming service like Netflix versus one that goes into theaters? Yes and no, because, well, the thing is, if we're talking um, solely just based on on Netflix, then yes, Mm -hmm. uh, it automatically, unfortunately, it it lowers the quality. If I automatically know (laughs) it's going to be just released on Netflix, because for other um, streaming services, I'm just randomly thinking at the moment of Amazon and there uh they had a comedy last year late night with um, mindy kaylin and emma thompson and i thoroughly enjoyed that movie and it did have a theatrical release and so on but i think when it comes to netflix just netflix alone yes i do unfortunately my expectations are significantly lowered when <laughs> the moment i read i realize it's going to be on netflix so released film and so do you think that this film feels like a studio film that was acquired by netflix or does it feel like a streaming service film because to me it this feels like a netflix film and i don't know how much of that is just because it happens to be on netflix but i can't imagine this theater or i can't imagine this film in theaters i would have been very disappointed if i've seen this in the theaters right. and i had to pay for it uh no it absolutely feels like a streaming service film it feels like a netflix it has netflix written all over it Yeah, and I don't even totally know what that means, but I agree with you. It it just feels a little underbaked, underwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So, so like, okay, maybe let's uh, let's kind of shift a little bit and talk about some of the positives of this film because Mm -hmm. I do think that Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae, I do like them both. I'll be honest, I don't really have much experience with Issa Rae, but I think Kumail Nanjiani is for the most part great in things like Silicon Valley. You mentioned earlier that their chemistry is great. Uh, what do you think makes them such a good pair? Well, me, I I would lie if I didn't admit first that the first thing that popped up to me as a woman of color was to have two lead actors of color um, mm-hmm. doing a film like this. So, but not only that, they're both talented. They're both um, great comedians in their own unique way. Very similar. <sighs> I can't really speak about their their comedy style since I don't have much experience with either one of them. Um, I don't watch a lot of television, so the 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 shows they're in, I'm I'm not very much familiar with. Um, anything I've been exposed to are just films, and I thought I believe their relationship. I believe that they they do have that chemistry. They do have that little spark, but unfortunately for me. The fact that, <laughs> like you said earlier, the, the writing isn't the best, and probably that's why it, it, it wasn't um, that great. But like the first five minutes um, when <laughs> it, the film is being introduced, I liked it. I thought it was it was cute. It was okay. But then it just falls from there for me. But I, I do believe it. I, I did see the chemistry between the both of them. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, I mean, I've seen this in tons and tons of reviews, but it's the exact same thing that I felt was that the opening sequence of watching them on their first date was incredibly Mm -hmm. adorable. I had a smile on my face and um, I wouldn't say I had really high expectations for this film, but I had expectations where this was going to be a little above average um, just because of the talent involved. And going into that opening scene, I was like, oh, this is great. They're they're vibing. This is really cute. And then almost immediately after they jump ahead four years, uh, (laughs) I felt sort of blindsided and I was like, why are we skipping all of this? Why don't we get, even if it's a montage or something, but I just instantly kind of lost investment in their relationship because it felt like we didn't really get enough buildup to be like, oh, they are this couple that is going to withstand, you know, whatever we're going to see for the rest of the movie. And I felt that was one of like, a very long line of missteps that this movie made. I don't know. Well, what do you think about that? Oh, I agree with you. Definitely agree with you. Yes. I thought the first five minutes were great. And then when it moves on and all that happens, we don't get enough time with these characters to get to know them to at all. We go from the first date to the current era and then just 
that's it. So yeah, you don't get that time to get invested into these characters. You don't, they're not developed at all. You really don't know anything about them except that they were on the first date and then now we're here. So yeah, no, I was, I didn't care about these characters at all. They, they were okay for me, but like you said, I had no idea, how do you call it, if they were going to be able to pass or whatever the test that, that, that was coming to them and all this. Like their relationship was going to withstand whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how strong or how um, strong the relationship was because I was never given any of that information. So I just didn't care. And the other thing that you mentioned that's a good point is that we don't really know anything about these characters and who they are. Right. We, I feel like the film relies a little too heavily on the fact that we are supposed to like these characters because they are Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae. But as far as the characters, I think it's Gibran and Leilani. We don't know anything Mm -hmm. about them. We know that uh, Gibran is a documentary filmmaker, which has zero relevance to the plot. And we know that uh, Leilani is in some sort of marketing, but other than like a one little joke, they don't, you know, we don't know anything about these characters. We don't know how they act. We don't know how they react. So you kind of, you're watching these people go through these fantastical crime sequences, but there's no attachment to the characters. So it's sort of just like watching vessels do things and that's not always necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, there's plenty of movies where characters are kind of a blank slate and you're supposed to insert yourself into the film as them. But then mm-hmm. we get to the next problem of the film that I think it's just genuinely a pretty boring and unfunny film. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree with you. Yes, absolutely. But before kind of hopping into a little bit more details of that, I do want to point out that I, I agree with you that I think that having the two main characters as minorities was a really great thing to see. Um, mm-hmm. and I, that I, I really did want this film to be good for that reason, because, you know, you get films like, I mean, so even Michael Showalter, he directed the big sick with Kumail Nanjiani. I think that's a great film and it does, it has Kumail Nanjiani in that main role. And that is a great film. So I'm not totally sure what went wrong here, but one thing that I did like about the film is that it got to kind of acknowledge the relationship that, uh, people of color and the police have in a way that felt real um but it still you know kind of kept with the comedic tone of the film so there were little sprinkles of things in here that i think i did enjoy and i thought were funny no definitely yes um i'm pretty sure i know which (laughs) scenes you're talking about yeah they they i i did enjoy it and i'm right there with you i did want this film to be uh to be good because of it although Having people of color as leads doesn't necessarily, although I appreciate the, the, the attempt to increase representation of people of color on the big screen, that shouldn't solely be the reason why it's, um, we should be <laughs> watching these films. <laughs> but I, I mean, I'd be lying if I say just seeing the trailer, it, it, it did intrigue me. It did spark an interest in me. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the jokes were were there, and I I very much enjoyed a lot of the sprinkles in there. It was pretty neat, and like you said, very realistic. So I uh, wrote down a question in our little Google Doc prep thing that is a mm-hmm. very broad question. So uh, you know, answer this in whatever way you'd like. But um, mm-hmm. what do you think are the ingredients for a good comedy film? Like, why, what do you think is missing here that uh, is essential for a good comedy? Well, for me, comedy, just like film, I think it's very, it can be subjective. Some people Mm -hmm. can find certain things funny or or maybe not, or many may find, be offended by something I find funny. Uh, To me, (laughs) the writing, writing has a lot to do with it. The jokes need to feel... They just need to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how to answer. But also the actors, comedic timing, I think it's really important as well. But for me, me as a person, I'm one of those people who thoroughly enjoys um, dark and at times dry comedy as well. Mm-hmm. It's so, like I said, it, it's just 
I guess it's based on on the, each individual and and what they find funnier and so. But good jokes, comedic timing, and I don't know. Some it needs to to me. It needs to feel a bit more realistic. It, I'm sure we're gonna probably talk about this later on, maybe when we get into spoilers. But it was in the trailer, so I don't think it's gonna be that bad. That that horse thing, and then the the oil. Yeah. Uh, the big yeah no um it just didn't no it just needs to feel more realistic to me things like that just don't they just don't (laughs) yeah um the realism is interesting because i think some of my favorite films that are comedies are um kind of meta and reflexive on the genre and they're kind of commenting about certain parts of the absurdity of comedy films and I don't think that every single film needs to do that. But if a film mm-hmm. is going to be unrealistic, I think it does need to have kind of a self-awareness to it um, that right. this film definitely does not have. Does not. And <laughs> I I mean, I, I asked the question, so I, I apologize. But I, it is like a pretty silly question because asking what comedy is is a little um, it's kind of an impossible task, right? It, it sort of feels like a thing that you know it when you see it. Right. And there is something that's just really missing in this film that I do do think largely goes to the writing. Mm -hmm. But I would also say that one of the things that this film really lacks that a lot of great comedy films has is these great supporting characters. I feel like this film really heavily relies on Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae and their dynamic, but none of the characters that they interact with throughout the film are particularly memorable. You've got Anna Camp who's doing a country accent or whatever, but she's not particularly memorable. I don't find her particularly funny. And there's no characters that make you go, oh, I want to see more of that person. Absolutely. Yeah. Supporting cast here, you like you said, it's completely not memorable at all. And yeah, uh, um, again, it, it's going to go all back to the writing and the script. But yeah, when you don't have a lot of the supporting cast that that to do their job (laughs) supporting (laughs) um, character to the the leading actors, then it really just falls. It doesn't work as well. Rosa, have you seen date night from 2010? I have. Wait, I think I might be confusing it. Yeah. This is a movie with uh, Tina Fey and Steve Carell. No, I have not. Okay. This movie is almost exactly like date night. From 2010. So basically, Date Night is, you know, it stars Tina Fey and Steve Carell, and they play a married couple that are on the verge of like losing the spark in their marriage or whatever. So they go on a date night and they take another couple's reservation in a restaurant and they get mistaken Mm -hmm. by that couple, by these corrupt cops, and they get tangled up in this crime conspiracy. And basically, they have to kind of solve the crime so that they can, uh, admonish their identities or whatever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is almost the exact same plot of this movie and there are some very shot for shot scenes in the film there's a scene where they have to break into an abandoned apartment to look for clues but oh no it's not actually abandoned there's a scene where they have to seek out help from a computer guy that tina fey finds really attractive and steve carell doesn't like and they do that in order to hack a phone like these are exact similarities between the two films Wow. I mean, the thing, so I realized that when I was watching Lovebirds. So like a crazy person, immediately afterwards, I bought uh, or I rented Date Night for $4 off of Amazon Prime and watched that to be like, I remember kind of liking that movie. It's not a great movie, but I remember mm-hmm. it being a little bit better than this. And I try, I wanted to kind of figure out why, because on their premise, they're very similar films. So why does Date Night work and the Lovebirds doesn't? And uh-huh. one was, of, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I said I was about to ask you that. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there's a couple of reasons. I think the first is that Tina Fey and Carell have a lot more of an established dynamic. They're kind of a married couple and you get a little more time with them as a married couple. So you understand and you're more invested in their relationship and how it works. And then the other thing that I think works really well about the film is that, you know, the jokes are just funnier. I mean, there are some really bad jokes. There are some very straight down the line, just 
not even that clever, but, oh, we're going to reference something stupid and it's going to be one of those, I acknowledge comedy, but I'm not laughing kind of things. Mm -hmm. But I think the main thing that makes this film so much better is that the supporting characters are just loaded with talent. You know, there's Mark Wahlberg, you have James Franco, Mila Kunis, Gal Gadot, Common, Jimmy Simpson. So all of these characters kind of populate this world. So it feels a little bit larger than reality. So it's a little zanier and the energy is more exciting. I just feel like in The Lovebirds, everything is so... Um, it feels like a Netflix movie. It feels like, you know, they wrote a couple jokes and they had to get from joke to joke to joke. And it's so surprising that this is a Paramount movie. Wow. Okay. Now you got me interested on on, on the other film. <laughs> I might end up going watching it after after we're done with this episode. This is uh, a secret promo for date night. <laughs> date night. <laughs> Um, but I mean, you know, it's, it's not like an amazing movie or anything and, right. you know, it's really straightforward because you know, they're going to survive the night and everything like that. But for whatever reason, um, maybe it's just like the, the veteran talents of Tina Fey and, um, Steve Corral, it's a little unfair to compare them to these relatively new comedic talents. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's. Very bizarre why that that movie works so much better than this one. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's very interesting. Hmm. So, Rosa, before hopping into spoilers, why don't we just give our uh, overall thoughts on the film and give it a score out of 10? Out of 10. Okay. So, again, to me, the lovebirds do not my cup of tea. I do appreciate the attempt. <laughs> uh, it's certainly <laughs> not a film I'll be watching again anytime soon. Uh, if you, I should not be saying this, but what the hell. If you need, if you want to watch a good comedic uh, rom-com, just go watch The Big Sick. It's far superior than this. And my score for this is a four out of 10. Wow, I am right there with you. Everything you say, <laughs> I echo, and I also would give this a four out of 10. Um, yeah, you know, I don't have anything else to say. It's just, it's just not funny. And that's the worst thing for a comedy to be like, it's not like the acting is bad. It's not, you know, again, it's not, it's not in a completely offensive or anything like that. It's just not funny. So what's the point? <laughs> um, so yeah, four out of 10, I would definitely not recommend this one unless you're really, really just need something to tune you know, to tune out and have in the background while you make food or something. I, I don't know, but I, I bet there's even better things for that. So let's go ahead and hop into spoilers now, and we can talk a little bit about some of the specifics and maybe things that bothered us. And hopefully we can talk a little positively about some of the things that we liked. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I will say spoilers for, what is the name of this movie? The spoilers for The Lovebirds starting now. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. All right, Rosa. So was there anything specific that really rubbed you the wrong way or uh, that you really liked? We can start with positives or negatives. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to be like the bad person here. No, I love it. <laughs> I think I, I want to just jump into all the negatives because I have I'm probably loaded with those than oh, I am with positives. <laughs> uh, but I could not feel more relatable to a sort of called villain than towards the end of the film when it's this supposedly climatic scene and they start arguing and the villain tells them they are annoying that they should just <laughs> shut up and i was like yes they are uh, unfortunately i'm sure again it, it's gonna go back to the writing it just got so bad that i just found these two characters annoying it was just annoying and i could not relate to that villain and at that specific time when he said that i was thinking exactly what he was thinking and i know i'm <laughs> not too nice for saying that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are so many instances where the film just thinks that the funniest thing for the characters to do is kind of ramble, explain, and they sort of just like talk over each other in this jumbled confusion, and they're saying things that don't really make sense, 
And it's funny maybe once, but after a while, mm-hmm. it just does become annoying. Like there's the scene where they do that in front of the cop, but or I mean, yeah, in front of the corrupt cop. But there's also the one where they do it in front of the uh, police chief commander. And then also when they're tied up in front of Anna Camp, like they just do this rambly thing that is either ad libbed or something. But whatever it is, it's not funny or done well enough for it to be entertaining. And it's sort of, yeah, I agree. It's just annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it was annoying. And to see that, like, pretty much every other scene, it was quite, even at times, I was just frustrated by it. And it's unfortunate. This is one of those films, and I'm probably bashing on it. Um, I'm not as, (laughs) now that I talk about it, I'm probably bashing on it more than I had in mind. But yeah, my favorite part of this film was when it was over, because I just couldn't. (laughs) I just couldn't. That's yeah. That's savage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I think that's sort of one of the cruxes of having to think about a film critically that you're going to podcast about is that like the more and more I thought about this film, the more I was like, that was just ugh. like I think <gasps> afterwards um, I didn't think it was great or anything, but I was like, that wasn't good. But like I laughed a couple times. But then when I started writing things down and thinking you know, what didn't work about this and trying to figure out why this comedy film is not funny, you start to realize all these problems. And it's, I mean, you know, for a film that, I mean, we're stuck at our homes, like it makes you laugh a couple of times. It's not the worst thing to watch ever, but there are so many better things that you can watch. Exactly. There's so much content out there that deserves a bit more of attention that are probably far superior in quality and comedy than this film. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Can we talk about how if you get kicked by a horse like that, you would probably die instantly? Apparently not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, they try and like give him a little bit of like pain afterwards. There's a scene where they're attending his wounds. But then for the rest of the night, he's totally fine. Like at the very least, you would get hospitalized by being kicked in the chest by a horse. Yeah. Again, it goes back to (laughs) being a bit more realistic. And yeah, as a even you don't even have to be like a, 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 a. in the medical field or anything but yeah no there's no way he would have walked out of there even just walked out of there they would have he would have gotten out of there with a stretcher or something (laughs) yeah yeah and then that that bacon oh my god yeah i found that like almost uncomfortably morbid for a film that for all intents and purposes otherwise was pretty like you know non uh non-stakesy like it it felt like it was just going to be really gross and painful like i was i was sort of watching it like i i don't want this to happen this is horrible right yeah same thing i i when i when it was happening i was trying to understand why would this be written in why what was the purpose of it why yeah like is it funny is it supposed to be funny that they're gonna get bacon grease poured on them because it's terrifying it is um, like bacon grease on the face. <laughs> yeah. And I think then she goes on to say that she would date somebody with a burnt face or yeah. something. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it was just mind boggling. I cannot believe that thing happened <laughs> that I witnessed that. The, that, uh, the whole horse thing also comes back at the very end of the film. I don't know. Maybe you exited immediately when the credits started rolling, but there was like a little, mid credit thing where they actually do get onto the amazing race. Did you watch that scene? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and and it ends with him having to, you know, ride a horse at the very end. And I just yeah. thought that that, you know, they set it up as this amazing hilarious callback and it just felt so flat. The joke just didn't work and it just kind of ended the movie in a way that made me go, yeah, the whole movie was kind of like that. Like you could see what yeah. they were trying to do with everything, but it just didn't mm-hmm. work. It was insincere. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I figured there was going to be something afterwards. And so I just continued um, to, to just left it on. And then I saw that scene. And yeah, no, it didn't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen The Amazing Race? I have not, no. Yeah, me neither. So I thought that the <laughs> the line that he said where he's arguing, having never seen the show, I thought that was actually pretty funny. Um, 
there are these little tiny bits of comedy that do make me laugh. Like it's not completely devoid of humor. Mm-hmm. The the one other thing while we're on a short little positive streak here, I did really like that when they got taken into custody by the cops, it turned out that they were never suspects because they mm-hmm. had traffic camera footage. I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah. Again, something that that does is realistic, yet you still don't think about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was your uh, favorite part of the movie? If you had one, if you had to, other than, you know, the ending, <laughs> the, the end credits, um, I'll try and make you, uh, I'm going to hold you to another one. <laughs> to another one. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> ooh, I'm trying to think maybe, oh man, I don't know. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it's funny. Cause yeah, when I, when I finished watching the movie, I thought it was okay. And now that I'm thinking about it and I'm just bashing on it too much, I probably am not so sure about that. Uh, let me see. I guess what we saw in the trailer is when, when the whole accident happens and, and they're in the car and they they just, they're running away from it. And, and th- that's when they have the little um, people of color joke and everything. And I thought that was cute. I mean, not cute, but I thought it was funny. It worked for me, mm-hmm. even though I had already seen it in the, in the trailer. But even though I had already seen it and I knew it was coming, it, it still worked for me. So maybe that was a positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another you know problem that I had with the film is that I felt like all the best moments were in the trailer. Yeah. Every single one of the you know set pieces or whatever you call them that they kind of hop around from was in the trailer. So I was watching the movie going, well, we still have to get to that weird cult scene and we still have to get into the scene where he says the he calls the frat guy like a beanbag punk or whatever. Um, so like I was also just anticipating the movie as I was going, which was kind of frustrating for me. I mm-hmm. I always hate when the best moments are in the uh, the trailers for comedies. Yeah. But, you know, I guess if you don't have that many good moments, um, you know, it's tough. <laughs> Yeah, I did find I not this. I'm not going to give myself credit because there's no way um, I could have thought of this. But somebody pointed out that scene where they were uh, where they break in to try to find the pictures or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they're like interrogating the, the young um, the young guy. And then in the back, there's the villain again coming in and shooting everybody and everything. And the Nanjiani and Ray, they don't see the villain doing all of this, but then all of a sudden they're hiding from him, even though they don't know he was there. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. When they pointed that out to me, I was like, oh, interesting. So it goes back to some of these scenes just making zero sense. And somebody else also posted like the continuity within the film when they're sitting in the diner and then she has a shake and then they go to another scene and there's no shake. There's like fries. Um, yeah. I saw that too recently. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, oh my God. I can't believe I'm bashing on this one too much. Um, I just need to stop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's cathartic Rosa. It's okay. We're, <laughs> you know, we put up with it so that other people don't have to. Don't and have to. We're just cleansing our souls right now from from this. I mean, that yeah, you know, I, I, <laughs> it is really easy to bash movies like this uh, when things don't work. But um, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, I, the film's not offensive or anything. So at the very least, it gets over the really low bar where comedy shouldn't be like perverse or it's not like disrespectful to women or minorities or anything like that. So I guess it's right. it's quote unquote good in that way or passable. So uh, I don't know. I mean, harmless comedies happen all the time, I guess. But it, it is sort of just frustrating because this movie could have been really great. It could have been the next Big Sick or the ma- the next Booksmart or something like that. Absolutely. So, I do admit though that that scene where they're in that or that that cult or whatever it was, I was not expecting that. Um, I thought they were, I don't know, watching a play or something else. I was not expecting any of what actually happened there. <laughs> the like uh, seance <laughs> orgy thing or whatever it yes, was yeah <laughs> i was kind of surprised by that i was like oh 
okay. <laughs> you have some tricks um, up your sleeve, movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. Did, ca- did catch me off guard. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our point two section, where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. Rosa, what have you been watching this week? Yes, I've been, um, I just recently, it was must have been two days ago, I watched the Painter and the Thief uh, documentary. I've never heard of that. Really? Oh, man, it's good. It's really good. Um, it's about a painter who goes out to see uh, the thieves who stole two of her paintings from a gallery. So the documentary follows the painter over a series of years, and eventually she find, they find the thieves, and she develops a friendship with one of them. And it's just the beautiful film. It's not your stereo, not stereotypical, but your ordinary documentary. So there's no interviews. It's mainly narrated by her, the painter, and um, the thief. And it's just an interesting and intriguing film. It was just, it's pretty much a portrait of human connection, redemption, and codependence. It, it's definitely a film I highly recommend watching. It's, it's very, very, very good. One of the few good things I've seen this week. <laughs> So is this like a, is it reenactment or does she film herself going to confront the painter or the thieves? Yeah. So from what I've been reading, the original idea was to do like a short film and it was just following her and, and her seeking the thieves that stole um, her, her paintings. And the short was just going to be her seeking out, um, asking this person, why did they steal her paintings and so on. Mm -hmm. And eventually the director started to see the friendship evolve and everything. So he just decided to make it a full length feature. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Where did you watch this? (laughs) Um, I got a screener from neon. (laughs) Oh, wow. Fancy. <laughs> uh, but it's on VOD. Yeah. No, it was released this Friday, this past Friday. So it's on VOD. It's for, available for rental. Okay, sweet. It, it looks like it might be on Hulu. Uh, don't quote me oh, on that. Good. But it might be based on my Google wow. search of Painter and the Thief. And it says Hulu subscription. But you can oh, never yeah. know with those things. But that's awesome. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. I Do you think that it has any uh, like Oscar chances? Is it that oh, yes. type of? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'd be surprised if it does not get nominated. Awesome. Okay, well, then I will definitely have to check it out. Is there anything else you've been watching? Um, Other than that, like new, newly released films, no. I watched, oh, that was probably a week ago. I watched Goob. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. There we go again. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not, not my cup of tea again. But it, it's mainly because of how they decided to to deal with the gang and all that good stuff. Um, and then the addition of superheroes and just took away from the, um, from the true, to me, the true identity of what the Scooby-Doo gang does and, and so on and so forth. But other than that, no, I'm just rewatching films and trying to prepare for my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I reviewed Scoob last week with my friend and we were not super Mm. hot on the film either. And one thing that I forgot to mention in that review, which we talked about for way too long, um, (laughs) was that I, I thought you may, you know, maybe this is what you were saying is that I did not appreciate that they had split up the gang, um, for most of the movie. And it felt very much more like a Shaggy and Scooby movie than it did a, mystery gang movie which was a little frustrating Mm -hmm. so i can definitely feel that if there was one you know great older movie that you had seen this week that you would absolutely recommend for people to watch instead of scoob or the lovebirds what would it be oh yes i watched stand and deliver again last night um i love that film it's from back in the 80s i think it was in 88 and it has ever james Olmos. and again it, it's coming back to the the podcast that we're going to be premiering i um, watched it to prepare for it uh because we're going to have an episode on ever james Olmos. and this is this film it's just um every it's about the a math professor in east l.a from garfield high school which is where i fr- i'm from and then i intended oh. also um 
and it's a professor who um, helped uh, these high school students. Uh, of course, we're minorities, majority of us are Latinos. And he helped them to get um, past the AP calculus tests from high school, directly from high school. And of, of course, a lot of people had doubts and they didn't um, think he'd be able to do that. And also the school system in, in minority cities and barrios like East LA, they aren't very great when it comes to education. So a lot of these high school students were barely going in with the fifth or sixth grade math um, level. So when he comes in and he proposes to teach calculus, uh, everybody's making fun of him. They don't believe him. They, they think he's crazy because you can't teach pretty much I'm quoting the film you can teach calculates to illiterates so and it's just a beautiful film I just love it of course I'm being biased because it's my hometown being represented and for once you know uh, people from East LA are portrayed accurately (laughs) in my opinion we're we're not all cholos or we don't speak like a lot of cholos do so Mm -hmm. it's definitely a film worth watching it's stand and deliver I think it's on I don't know if it's on HBO or it should be available for rental. Again, just looking at my Google search, it looks like you can get it for free on Vudu, um, probably with ads. I've never heard of this film, but it sounds like one that I would absolutely love because I absolutely love calculus. Uh, I am a engineer by trade or whatever. Um, (laughs) Nice. And so, you know, I, I always love you know, talking about how calculus is just a, a different language that people don't understand. And I, I mean, I, I'm definitely going to check this out and I will let you know that it looks really, really cool. Oh, okay. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause honestly, I think the first thing that I saw Edward James almost in was like season four of Dexter or something. Mm-hmm. Cause I just, you know, haven't seen any of the, the movies from the eighties and nineties that he's in. But um, and then he was mm. also in Agents of Shield for a season or something. So, I would like to see him at his prime. That, that sounds great. Oh yeah, yeah. He got an Oscar nomination for this performance. Yeah. All right. So that is Stand and Deliver, which you can check out on Vudu for free, maybe, or you know you can rent it for three bucks somewhere. So the thing that I checked out this week was the Netflix limited series written and directed by Kerry Fukunaga, Maniac. Do you know where you are right now? I'm in a drug trial. What do you think is wrong with you? I'm sick. Though I don't matter. What would you say this trial is showing you about yourself? Is this therapy now? It's not therapy. It's science. Once you begin to appreciate the structure of the mind, There's no reason to believe that anything about us can't be changed. Pain can be destroyed. The mind can be solved. Mm. Have you seen this one? You said you're not a TV person, right? No, not really. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this is a sci-fi series. It's a limited series, so it's just one season. And it stars Jonah Hill and Emma Stone. And it takes place in this like semi-futuristic version of our world, where Hill and Stone both play these mentally unwell characters and they're enrolled in a experimental drug trial that is supposed to unlock your mind and cure mental illness in lieu of going to therapy. Um, So it's, you know, I think the way that the show is marketed by Netflix was that it is a very trippy show and it's one of those ones that you need to focus and pay attention to very much because it's things are going to get really weird and heady and you're not going to be able to understand what's reality and what isn't and it's going to ask all of these questions and the show is definitely weird but it's not really a show like Westworld or something like that where you're questioning what's going on um, like what's real or if there's multiple timelines or things like that it's really just a show where it seems like Kerry Fukunaga had a bunch of sci-fi ideas and he wanted to play with a whole bunch of them. So 
like what happens when they do these three phases of the drug trial is they have these reflections in their mind where they can relive their deepest traumas and then experience new memories as the drug tries to kind of cure whatever whatever mental illness they have. And so that allows the show to do these sort of one-off episodes or little bits of television that are in different genres. So there's one where Emma Stone and Jonah Hill play a married couple in the 90s. There's another one that's like a noir in the 40s. Um, there's like almost a Lord of the Ringsy kind of sequence. Um, and it's just really fun to get to watch Hill and Stone play these kind of different iterations of their character in these different worlds. And it's really fun to just watch the world building of that futuristic world as well. So like while it does ask you to pay attention to things, cause there are these callbacks and little details and everything. It's not one of those shows that is like, Oh, wait until the end for this big reveal where everything makes sense. It's kind of just a show that you're supposed to enjoy. Um, and it's weird. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, I do. I know what you're talking about. Again, I have not seen it um, because uh, well, yeah, I live in LA and, and I work um, near Hollywood. So every time I drive by uh, Paramount Studios, I would see the Netflix studios not that far away. Yeah, the marketing of, of I remember Amazon and Jonah Hill, um, the, the big posters and everything. So yeah, it does. It was marketed to be this like trippy thing and, and so on. But yeah, I never got a chance to watch it. Sounds interesting, though. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I feel like normally when shows are a little incohesive and almost like maybe even intentionally a little sloppy, that can bother me. Mm -hmm. But for whatever mm -hmm. reason, it that lack of cohesion in this show doesn't actually bother me that much. And not to throw out a pun or anything, but the manic energy of the show <laughs> kind of has this almost aggressive ambition to it that just makes it entertaining to watch things, even if you watch something and you're like, wait, what does that talking koala bear have to do with everything else in the show? The answer is nothing as far as I can tell. Maybe maybe I'm missing something that's like six levels deep, but there's a lot of these kind of silly little things that happen. You know, there's a heist sequence where in one of the dreams they have to steal back a lemur that um, Emma Stone's character's uh, who works in a retirement home. The lady died and they, they stole her lemur. So they want to get the lemur back. Like it, it's, it's all crazy stuff, but it's just really entertaining and has this sort of energy that no other show does. And it's not asking you to pay attention to every single thing or else you're going to get lost there. There is this sort of almost laid back enjoyment that it's asking you to do either with its humor or it's kind of quirkiness that's definitely not for everyone but it doesn't feel as mm -hmm. um annoyingly pretentious maybe is the word as some of these other sci-fi shows that are like pretending that being confusing is the same thing as being prolific mm, interesting so if you if you do want to watch some tv mm -hmm. I, I would recommend this i mean you know there's thousands and thousands and billions of hours of tv so yeah but yeah, this is on Netflix and I thought it was great. The episodes, there's only 10 of them and they're all less than f like 50 minutes. Some of them are only like 30 minutes. So it's a very quick watch. Um, and I thought it was really fun. Nice. Sounds very interesting. <laughs> uh, all right. So this has been our review of Netflix's The Lovebirds. So Rosa, thank you again for joining me today. Uh, it was a little bit shorter of a review this time. We weren't quite as enthusiastic about this one as Portrait. <laughs> Yeah. No, thank you for, for inviting me back. And I'm probably going to be looked upon as a villain, but it's okay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least we were both in solidarity with each other of, of yeah. both disliking it. Two people can't be wrong, right? That's how it works. Right. If you find Absolutely. one other person that agrees with you, your opinion is correct. Correct. <laughs> so is there anything that you'd like to plug here? Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, just to follow um, any social media, eh, we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, uh, Latinx Lens. It's going to be a new podcast debuting on June 2nd. Um, and it's going to be a podcast with Catherine Gonzalez and myself. We're going to be talking about, um, we'll be talking about movies, 
and how we view movies through our own unique lens. And also we're going to try our very best to give a deserving spotlight to Latinx filmmakers and um, actors, as well as discussing some topics of either um, pertaining to stereotypes or why critics of color or Latinos particularly we have different expectations when reviewing films and so on and so forth. This is perhaps one of the best examples with um, the lovebirds with people <laughs> of color in it. And yeah, so if you can follow us and then um, we'll be posting more updates on social media, we would really greatly, greatly appreciate it. Yeah. I said this before we started recording, but I'm really excited for this one. Um, I think it's a really important thing to shed light on that. And I think it's going to be a really fun podcast, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I will absolutely provide all the links to all of uh, the social media for that as well. So Thank you. You definitely, you've got to take my suggestion of reviewing all the Spy Kids films and doing it earnestly. I can't believe Robert yes. Rodriguez did four Spy Kids films. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, those things are from my child. I mean, I love the first three, um, even that 3D one that was done like at a time when 3D was should not have been in movies because it was so shitty. It was like before Avatar. Mm -hmm. But um, mm -hmm. I love those films. So I would definitely like a uh, different or new and retrospective perspective of those films. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the intro music for this podcast is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod. And you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at MovieMarathoners.Podbean.com, at least for now. We will be moving pretty soon away from Podbean to Megaphone, and uh, I'll be doing some exciting announcements about the future of the podcast going forward. Um, but for now, check us out on Podbean. Uh, we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing, and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when we run through a TBD topic. Literally have no idea what I'm doing next week. It does not seem like anything all that exciting is coming out, except maybe that Steve Carell Space Force show. So we'll see what I can wrangle up. So stay tuned for that. Until then, bye. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.